While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's December 29th. So 2013 is is gasping oh, out his last breath. Oh, it's been a it's been a year. It's been a year. How's it? In what way has it been a year? It's just been a lot of stuff. You guys, you guys like moved in. We moved in. I'm I'm probably oh well. Apropos of a possible New Year's resolution I might make is to just do a little bit more writing, even if it's for my own like blogging journaling purposes. Okay. Um, and one of the first things I want to do is kind of just look back on a lot of the artistic work I did in the past year. And I I think I worked on, I think I directed like four or five shows this year. I don't know. That's a lot. Yeah. It's each like, one takes like, you know, a month and a half to two months, depending on the size of the project. Um, yeah. It's, it was a lot. And then For we me, did this like, show, uh, you know. It's like anything that happened before September, I basically have no recollection of. <laughs> or like it, it was like it happened so long ago that it happened to somebody else. Like I'm trying to like looking back at stuff that happened in like January and February. I can't believe that that was this year. Well, and I don't know <laughs> if if this works the same way for you with your cycle and work or anything, but we're still in theater kind of beholden to this the September to June calendar. You know, not only is that similar to all of our fiscal calendars, but it's also like that is the theater season. So then December rolls around and it's like, it's the end of the year. And you're like, why? Wait, it's like two years that are ending at the same time. Uh, um, so you guys have like a, a schoolish kind of schedule. Almost, yeah. Or? And that that's because um, people are not traveling you know, during that time. So if you oh. have a, if you have a subscription model of, of any kind, you can count on an audience being in town for you basically. Um, but yeah, so one of my new year's resolutions is going to be to write. And I think I'm also going to try to exercise a little more, you know, classics. I do need to do the exercise one. I've been thinking about personal trainer because like clearly the motivation to get in shape is going to have to come from some external force. You like, just need someone to yell at you. I need somebody to make me feel bad or like somebody, I need somebody I can let down by not oh, exercising. No. I think that's what'll, that's what'll get me. Into could we, gym. could you and I rig up a thing where like we watched, we synced up watching like fitness videos on Netflix <laughs> That sounds and, weird. And we Google chatted while we did it. Okay, Craig, let's. Which Denise Austin video do you want to watch today? <laughs> I mean, I, we we could tie bow it. We could. Oh, uh, we our could friend tie Billy bow Blanks. It. Billy Blanks. I need to get one of those plastic tie bow mannequins. Tie bow is just air punching, right? That's kickboxing, right? I thought Wait. Billy Blanks. <laughs> I thought tie bow thing was like punch, punch, punch. I'm trying. I'm thinking of like the ads. That's Parappa the rapper. <laughs> it's dance punching though. I think Taibo is stands for dance punch. Okay, I'm right? Not sure. Obvi- I I don't know. So you you're so you're gonna exercise person. more. You're gonna shame exercise. Um, 
Yeah, like I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with the amount that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I would like my one of my New Year's resolutions is not to write less, but <laughs> to let writing not be like the default thing that I do when I find myself with work life balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a it's a little it's a little off the the beaten path. It's you know, people talk about that. They talk about like spending time with their friends or their family, but I, you would do that automatically, and you do make time for that. But work life balance in general is tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, work life balance. It hitting that, like finding a better way to handle that, solves a lot of the other problems. Like if I have better work life balance, then I play, you know, I play video games a little bit more, which means that I am actively like relaxing. Yes, <laughs> like yes. video games is it's not something I can put on and then ignore while I work anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can like go and see people more, or I, you know, I just have more time for other stuff. Yeah, you can still look at Twitter in a way that is kind of working, even if you're watching television. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to get this thing started? I guess we can get this thing started. All right. Well, welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we've almost been doing this a year, right? Couple months shy of a year, I think. Couple months shy of a year. So this is episode like forty, forty something, forty. <laughs> this is episode forty-three. Okay, that's a lot. That's almost a year. That's almost a year, and uh, we have we have had some skipped weeks, and this week yeah. almost ended up being a skipped. No, week. no. So if this week uh, ends up being a little shorter, which after our really <laughs> long conversation, I don't know if it will be, uh, but we're trying to bring you weekly content. So we're going to do it this week. <laughs> what did you read this week? <laughs> I read The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, and that's not very long, right? No, it's not very long, but don't you don't you give it short shrift just because it short is shrift. It is a it is a poem of 18 stanzas of 6 lines each. It'd be easier to give it shrift if it wasn't so short. Like I can't I can't give it any other kind of shrift because it's just not it's not long enough to get long shrift. I don't know that long shrift is a thing that anyone's ever said. <laughs> I think it's just short shrift and shrift. Right? Wait, is shrift actually a thing? I thought it's I was making that gotta up. It's got to be a thing. Like if you, you've got to have... Faith. If, the, if there's such a thing as short shrift, there's got to be like an opposing force for that <laughs> phrase, right? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so tell me what you know about Edgar Allan Poe, and then I'll tell you what I know about Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. Is that the game we're playing? Yeah. (laughs) You show me yours, I'll show you mine. (laughs) You show me your Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I know he was a poet who... who, and a other writer. (laughs) Oh, God. Whoa, what? And and a other writer. Uh, he wrote poems and he wrote short stories, and he was writing them in the early 19th century in America, okay. of the Gothic style. Uh, he is credited with kicking off uh, the detective genre or helping to, and also some early elements of sci-fi as well. If you want to think of them, some of his stories that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had a mustache. He did have a mustache. And he died in his 40s? He died at 40. Okay. 40 even. Oh, this is a good quiz. 
And he lived on the East Coast. He was born in Boston mm-hmm. to two actors, I think. Okay. And he was an orphan. That's pretty good. Um, and he didn't get along with his brother. He and his brother, John Allen. I th- you're not. You don't even know these facts. You can't even check me. No, that's, it sounds right. Um, <laughs> just riffing. Um, he then he lived. Wore funny hats. He wore funny hats. I didn't know. He didn't oh, know. he flew. Um, he lived in Philly and. Ooh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. among other places, I know. Um, there's some sort of Poe house or something here in Philly <laughs> that I should visit. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Um, and we don't there's know how plaque, he died. There's a plaque in Boston. Okay. The approximate location. Where I think he, he must. He did a pretty good job of having letting a couple different cities claim him. It seems like. Yeah. Well, it's it might be like the the Wright brothers thing where mm, like. Mm-hmm. North Carolina tries to claim it because that's where they flew, and Ohio tries to claim it because that's where they were like born. born and did a lot of their work. Yeah, yeah. So they can—they're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about him? You tell me. Um, I know that we do not know what he died of, and do we have some a guesses? Lot of, a lot of <laughs> a lot of the the research that we do is just like we're just reading back Wikipedia. So you don't oh, why would you tell people that? Because it's pretty clear what, what's going on here. Like, <laughs> um, the cause of his death is unknown and has been variously attributed to alcohol, brain congestion, cholera, drugs, heart disease, rabies, suicide, tuberculosis, and other agents. Which I don't know if that's like that means like the Matrix kind of agents, sleeper or, agents, yeah, CIA agents. NSA agents. Um, Edward I know Snowden. that he in uh, in 1835 he married his cousin Virginia. Yeah. How old was Pretty she cool. at the time? She was 13. Ooh. So totally on the level. Um, Wait, I find it, I find it kind of interesting because um, the, the the Wikipedia page and I have no way of verifying this. Oh I don't know how God. Wikipedia knows, but it says he is one of the first well-known American writers to actually try and earn a living through writing and only writing okay and i guess that that is um that's interesting because if you're talking about like the early 1800s like america is not really a huge force in the world at this point no we are I mean, babies yeah like most most literature and stuff is still coming from like england yeah we're we're because that's that's the dominant world power i think at this point we're basically still. babies who beat Britain twice thanks to France. <laughs> that's, that's really what we are. Um, uh, there's not a lot I, of culture. I, I imagine there's probably an, an I don't know, like a, what's the word that I want? There's a there's a tendency to think of America as like if it, like with a nation this young, I think there would be a tendency to think of it as kind of a backwater. <laughs> And oh, like I'm maybe, sure. Maybe not a lot of culture is coming from this yes. place. So it's, I don't know, maybe at some point we need to do a little more research on American authors and American literature and like figure out exactly when we started exporting anything other than tobacco <laughs> to the rest of the world. Yes, yes, yes. And a lot of those guys uh, do have ties to Philly as well, it being, you know, an original capital and... um what I'm just bringing it home. Oh no, man, I wish I wish we could have one conversation without you telling me about how Philadelphia is the original capital. Uh, I kind of think it's great because um, <laughs> there's uh, 
Edwin Forrest is there's a statue of him in the city because he's the first like American homegrown actor. Um, there's you know all sorts of interesting you know the Boots are famous American actors, one of mm-hmm. whom killed a president. Yeah, President Ben Franklin. Yeah, that guy was never a politician. <laughs> Believe that, but he's on money. He is on money. Oh, I mean, he's, he's the that's the scam of all scams. Like. <laughs> Good job, Ben Basically invented fire departments. I think he's allowed to be on money. <laughs> he invented <laughs> fire departments. Come on. You know, you know fires? What if there was a way <laughs> to fight them? What if there okay, was a... so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to... Didn't you mean derailed to step me. On your, step on your I bit. I didn't have a bit. It's fine. So, The Raven is a poem. It is a poem. Uh... Written in 1845, which is actually four years before he died. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty late. I asked that as a question. I was hoping you would confirm. When? Yeah, when was the first thing that he in like the published? In the 20s or 30s. Okay. 1820s or 30s. Okay. You gonna, you gonna I thought I was asking you when he died. Oh, he died. I'm sorry. <laughs> he died in 1849. Yeah, okay. So four years before he dies, he writes this poem. Um, and it's not very long, like we said a couple of times. Um, and for those of you who do not know, I will give you a quick summation. There is a student of some kind lounging in his study, and he hears a noise. And he hears a tapping and a rapping and all sorts of worms, words that rhyme with that. Um and a, a bird, a, a raven, if you couldn't Ooh, guess. The, the titular raven. Comes in through the window and set, starts saying the word nevermore. And meanwhile, the student is mourning the loss uh, of his love, Lenore. And he's having a hard time not thinking about her. And he goes, his journey with the raven is one of, oh, this, you know, this raven's probably just a bird who says these words because it's the only thing it knows how to say. It probably has to do with its previous owner. Uh, and then he asks it a question, something about um, Lenore, I think. Nothing, nothing specific. And he's kind of interested in the raven as a curiosity that it can say words. And then he starts asking it questions that he kind of really wants answers to, such as, uh, you know, is there a heaven is basically the question he asks, whether or not Lenore is going to be there. And then the raven says nevermore, and then he asks if he will meet. He calls the bird a liar, and then he asks the bird if he's going to meet Lenore there, and the bird says nevermore. And then he kind of resigns himself to this existence where he is living in the shadow of this bird. Uh, (laughs) In a metaphorical and literal sense. How do we know that the information this bird is giving out is accurate? You don't. Like, is this maybe this is the only thing he can say? Well, there's actually, uh, that's a line in the poem where it's, uh, this is his only stock in store. Uh, Like the narrator outright says, this bird probably can't say anything else. And yet he asks him these questions. Um, Either either knowing that those are, are the answers that he's going to get, or, you know, already feeling like those are the answers and he is desperately looking for a sign that those are not true, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, the poem kind of is an exploration of how you 
struggle with forgetting or remembering someone that you've lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part where he pulls up a chair to go look at, you know, get a closer look at the raven. In the middle of the stanza, he uh, thinks about how Lenore will never, like, sit on that chair again. And he kind of gets distracted. And he's hoping that the raven has actually been sent there by God to distract him from his grief. And then the raven actually becomes this, you know, all-knowing bird who's going to tell him whether or not he can move on. But, like, Lenore. so he suspects that nevermore is the only thing that the raven can say. Mm-hmm. And yet he continues to ask it, Yes. Questions, questions to which nevermore is a bad answer. <laughs> yes. Um, One gets like, the sense that this man might be mad with grief. Okay. Or is going mad with grief. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I mean, or, or maybe he, I don't know. He seems like he's, I don't know, he's wallowing in it a little bit. I'm just, I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it because Poe seems like such a, such a sad sack of a figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this gets, this gets to um, some of the, some of the outside stuff of the Raven that I kind of want to talk about. Any, anybody who's listening to this, go, go read the poem. It'll take you like 15 or 20 minutes. I had plenty yeah, of time I, to I, read it like three times and then kind of read a bunch of stuff around it. Um, so it's debated whether or not Poe is writing in response to the loss of his mother, Virginia, uh, not his mo- not Virginia, um, Ellie, I think, who mm-hmm. I think was his adopted mother, um, or the long-suffering illnesses that his cousin slash wife, Virginia, suffered from. Um, so he might be writing about his own struggles um, with this, in which case he's not going to move on from it. But a year after he published The Raven, he published an essay called The Philosophy of Composition in 1846, where he outlines his, uh, basically his aesthetic and what he thinks good writing is. And it boils down to three different things. One is length. And there's a great quote where he says, there is a distinct limit to all works of literary art, the limit of a single sitting. <laughs> So he's espousing poetry and short stories above novels. Um, yeah, that's 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 interesting given the number of books that we've read from, I don't know, like this approximate time period that were written on commission and like published serially and maybe the authors were being paid by the word because Yeah, yeah. Things are things are a bit longer than they strictly need to be. And he and he is still, you know, publishing things in literary journals and in magazines, but he is choosing to write discrete individual tales, you know. Um, he also believes in writing as a method, writing that is methodical and analytical, not spontaneous. Uh, and he has he goes into into this kind of analysis of his own writing where he says that he started with the chapter, or not the chapter, the stanza of the raven, where the guy asks whether or not he will meet Lenore in heaven. And then it's almost like he worked backwards from that idea. Like, that is the climax of his little poem, short story. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And so he worked out from there. And that actually comes up in his next point. But he believes that the writer should have total control over everything he's creating. And there's some people that say this is in reaction to a poem that was written in 1797 called Kubla Khan, which I think I've heard of, but... I, the name sounds familiar, but it means it means nothing. Yeah, I've never read a poem by Coleridge, um, so I definitely haven't read his poem, Kubla Khan, which was a, reportedly written after Coleridge woke up from a dream, an opium-induced dream. <laughs> well, what else would it be induced by? <laughs> and immediately started writing poetry furiously uh, until he was interrupted, uh, and he almost didn't publish the poem because it, he didn't get to finish it correctly because he had to, like, come back to it. And Lord Byron was like, yo, you got to finish that. You got to put that out. It's pretty good. Um, and so there was a lot of excitement over the idea that he'd written that completely spontaneously, and Poe was saying that that was bullcrap. Uh, case in point, without method, you can't have what Poe calls the unity of effect, which is that the work should only be written after the author has decided how it should end and what effect he wants to create. Mm -hmm. So Poe settled on the idea of the death of a beautiful woman as being one of the most poetical topics to write about. And then he says, quote, It is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world, and equally it is beyond doubt that the lips best suited for such topic are those of the bereaved lover. Uh, so that's, you know, the impulse for the Raven. And then he talks about how he started with that uh, Le- meeting Lenore in heaven stanza and worked outward from there so that he wouldn't diminish that stanza by getting too carried away in the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a fair point in terms of looking at anything you create uh, with like a macro lens, like looking at it holistically. You need to be able to isolate the parts that are the most important and kind of build to them. But it's interesting that he is taking the the tack that you you shouldn't just start from the beginning and see where it goes. You need to know exactly what your intended effect is for the audience. Well, and I I find that, you know, when I'm writing stuff, not saying that I'm writing like great literature <laughs> or anything. But just as as a as a writer, I guess I can understand like sometimes it's hard for me to get started on something if I try and start from the beginning or even yeah, if I try yeah. to start from like the conclusion and work backwards. Like a lot of the time it's the most effortless to just start writing whatever, you know, whatever chunk of it I feel like is most interesting or the part that I feel like is going to be easiest and then go back and forward and flush it out from there. Yeah. So I totally get like wanting to start start with the the point like whether it's the beginning or not and then you know make write the rest of it in service of that of that tidbit. Well, and it definitely serves someone like Poe who is writing who believes that this is the best way to write and so he writes these shorter stories, these shorter poems that uh and we've talked about we talked about this a little bit with Franny and Zoe, I think of the shorter story allowing you to be much more economical uh, and you're not so much exploring something as you're almost like coming up with an artistic thesis and then just putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of novels, especially from the 20th century and onward that the, the authors did not write it knowing where they were going. And that's the point. Um, so I don't know. 
It's just yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some people who have said that that work may or may not be uh, a work of satire, but I don't think that that's true. This is I'm talking about the the philosophy of writing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it it doesn't come off as satirical. It comes off as a little pompous, but. Um, <laughs> He also talks about the uh, the rhythm of the poem, which upon reading it, and you, you kind of hear, if you've ever heard it, no matter who you've heard it recited by, the poem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that the definitive version is um, James Earl Jones reading it on The Simpsons. But, uh, <laughs> I was hoping you would. I mean, James Earl Jones <laughs> does have a wonderful voice as, you know, the internet is a, a flutter with his, you know, Nextel or Sprint ads or whatever they oh, are. Oh, anytime he reads anything. Like I think there's um there's a video of him reading parts of one of Justin Bieber's songs. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Why not? Yeah, like he's reading Baby or something. Yeah, come on. And everybody's losing it. <laughs> anyway, go on. You're you're talking about the rhythm. Uh so the the poem for for poetry enthusiasts, you'll know what I mean when I say that the poem is written in a trochaic octometer. Andrew, do you know of what course. that is? Oh yeah, but you should uh, you should tell everybody at home what it is. Like okay. I I know great what it, what an octometer is, but <laughs> I don't think that the people listening do. So l- let's start from something you might have learned. What is iambic pentameter? Um, it's a rhythm of pen- it's yep. five something five it's something five. five. Something. Great. Yeah. So if I say octometer. Eight, eight, eight or something. Eight something, great. Uh, and a trochee <laughs> is a two-syllable word or, or series of one syllables um, that is that has a stress that actually sounds like the word trochee. So it's that first stress syllable and then an unstressed syllable. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's bump, 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 you know. And he does that in I, I thought it was an appetizer that you would get at an Indian restaurant. <laughs> I, when I go to Indian restaurants, I just eat all the bread. Yeah, you the, just get oh, God, you don't, you don't so even good. mess with the don't even mess with the trochee. No, just put that sauce in a bowl and give me the naan. <laughs> maybe if you have rice, I'll take it, but I'll just eat all your bread. Um, so it's written in this uh, kind of looping trochaic form, and it has rhymes that are internal to each line. Um, I'm gonna you know. I'll give you an hit me example. With this, hit me with a stanza. I'll hit you with a whole stanza? Yeah. Great. Or a couple lines or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll give you the opening. How about that? All right. This, that's fine. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of some gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this, and nothing more.'" So you can kind of hear how he does, like, rhyme, rhyme, and then another word, and then or. And then he does it again. He'll do rhyme. He'll do, like, dreary, weary, curious lore, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you throughout the entire poem, you hear this kind of, uh, refrain of that or sound, which to hear Poe tell it, he was very interested in that just that vowel, that long o vowel, because uh, vowel, he thought it sounded melancholy. Um, 
But the other thing you notice is throughout this poem, he does a lot of ing words, uh, which in from a like syntactical perspective kind of sets the stage. There's a lot of like, he was doing this and doing this and sitting this and sitting that, you know. Um, but it also allows him to kind of rhyme a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I don't know, let me find it. Because I know at one point he rhymes, oh, he rhymes agreeing with being, but being is a noun. It kind of allows him to kind of be a little more nimble with his rhyming. Okay. Um, which I really liked. The <laughs> sounds, is, there, is there any slant rhyming? It sounds like he's better at rhymes than Beyonce. At this he's, pr- he's better at rhymes than Beyonce. Uh, th- this is no jelly ready situation, okay? Uh, but the the overall rhyme scheme has a very hypnotic effect, which I think is is part. Yeah, it's of... very it's very sing song like all the way through. Yes, 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 yes. Um, one of my favorite rhymes actually, which I'm go- I just want to read these two lines for you. Uh, surely said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is and this mystery <laughs> explore. He got three <laughs> rhymes out of the two syllable at is Man. rhyming that is with window lattice, which lattice. is pretty, pretty baller. Good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good rhyme. A plus. Uh I'm I'm a pretty big fan of that. Um one guy, I don't remember which reviewer uh <laughs> like there are contemporary reviewers of the Raven. Um, somebody writing about the Raven talked about the uh, poem, the poem structure, saying that it felt very, you know, y- you hear it and it feels very formulaic and artificial, which it's so it's not like it's obviously very unnatural and very heightened, but it gives you the effect that the that the narrator is probably experiencing of being very mesmerized. Um and drawn in by the tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually, Poe has said that he borrowed the structure, or at least uh, decided to use the structure after reading a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who is a poet I did not know before doing my research here. She was a British poet, contemporaneous to Poe, uh, and he had reviewed a poem or a book, I guess a poem of hers, called Lady Geraldine's Courtship. And what did he say? He said, uh, her poetic inspiration is the highest. We can conceive of nothing more august. Uh, Her sense of art, what is it? Ah. Her sense of art is pure in itself. And he said, I have never read a poem combining so much of the fiercest passion with so much of the most delicate imagination. So this all kind of fits in the in, in with the idea of Poe as almost like not quite a chess master or a puppet master, but someone who likes to plot and plan out his work. And he mm-hmm. respects that because he thinks that that is the best way to achieve. He would, he would have hated Jackson Pollock. How about that? Okay. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know how you feel about Jackson Pollock, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another interesting thing about the poem in general that I think is kind of cool, it, one way to look at it, uh, a 20th century critic referred to it as a periclausithron, I think. My Greek is not very good. Okay. Uh, which means a lament beside a door. 
which is like an old kind of poem or ode that dates back to Greek poetry, which is the lover like outside a door kind of wishing he could get in. Sure. Um, the example that I recognized from the list of examples I could find was Pyramus and Thisbe, which is from Ovid and also from the end of Midsummer, Midsummer Night's Dream, when mm-hmm. there's the two lovers talking between the wall. And what's interesting about that from a like songwriting perspective is it boils down the situation to the lover, the beloved, and the obstacle. Um, in this case, like the narrator Lenore and death. So it's just kind of like almost him like the raven kind of wishing that he could be with her again and not knowing how. Um, and he's like trapped on the other side of this thing. I just think that's kind of neat, even though it's cool. probably not what uh, Poe was thinking about. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of that stuff seems like accidental. Like you write something and then people discover that you accidentally have contributed to this genre that you'd never heard of previously. <laughs> well, and the idea of writing something and then something accidental happening in it is kind of anathema to what Poe confesses or you know not confesses but purports to be good writing Mm -hmm. the idea that the audience would discover something in your work that was not there by your intention poe doesn't believe in that yeah he even has like his own justifications for why the raven's in there like he's like oh well the raven went inside because it was a dreary night in december like, like he wrote the shelter. poem and then he turned around and he wrote the Cliff's Notes. To yes, he it. wrote Cliff like, Notes to his own poem. He wrote the only, the only acceptable interpretation of that. <laughs> he also kind of talks about how, you know, there's nothing metaphoric. There's very little that in the poem for the first half of it that's metaphorical. Uh, I don't know if you remember. The line that always stuck with me from the Simpson reading of it was, take thy beak from out my heart or, you know, from off my door and out my heart that line Mm -hmm. uh and poe is quick to point out that from out my heart is the first metaphorical expression in the poem okay and then it's echoed at the end of the poem when the narrator says and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's using even in poetry he's he is at least claiming that he is using metaphor very sparingly or at least very purposefully rather than kind of putting some feelings down and then letting you bring your own feelings to it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Is there anything else that you that you found when you were No, I think that's researching a, that's, or is that pretty much it? That's about it. There's, you know, he may or may not have decided to use a raven because he was reviewing a Dickens book called Barnaby Ridge. And he thought that the raven in that should have been more prophetic and meaningful. <laughs> so, he's Dickens. Uh, he's all nice raven. I know. <laughs> he also wrote a poem earlier in his career called Lenore, which was another about a dead woman. So I don't know. I know his wife died pretty young. Like, was that? Did that come into this at all? As I I imagine. Well, I mean, he married her pretty young too. He Everything married her pretty young her when she was young. Yeah. Um. Yeah, probably. It's it seems like there's there's a lot. Poe is a very interesting character, and I, I think you know it says something that was the was the movie that came out 
this year called Poe, or was it called The Raven? The one where he was I, like I don't know some sort of about. monster hunter. I don't know. Never mind. Oh, I'm trying to... Oh, was, man. Was Edward Norton in it? I don't know. There are so many of these dumb movies. Was it John Cusack? Like, like, there was that one about, like, Little Red Riding Hood that was about, like, a town fighting off wolves or something. Like, yeah. there's so many poor adaptations of things that I can't possibly keep them all yeah, straight I don't know. in my head. But uh, it's a cool poem. I, I, I haven't... I don't read poetry as often as I should, and this... All things considered, is is pretty easy from a read a poem and know what it's about perspective, which I think a lot of people is where they get hung up. Like they they'd rather just read a story, and this one is all things considered very much a story. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I find most poetry frustrating to boring, depending mm. on <laughs> depending on the subject and like how long it is and how um, how oblique it is. For me, if if it's easier for me to get into a poem if it has a character, uh, and if it's a, if it's really short, then it's more then I can digest it a lot easier without a character. If it's more just kind of an observation on something, yeah, um, I like a good limerick, but that's not that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That limericks are like barely poetry, <laughs> but but they a lot of times the best limericks have like the bare bones of a story you know like you have to set up a character and then you have to deliver on the rhyme yeah like that's that's the cool thing about mediums that have really strict limitations like haiku and yeah limericks and and like twitter i guess sure (laughs) you find a lot of like a lot of people find creative things the ancient art form of twitter Yeah, yeah the ancient art of twitter People find interesting ways to to use the medium just because it's like the fact that it's so limited makes them want to rail against it and like I don't know you know what I mean oh yeah and, and like I, it's like a challenge and then they rise to the and that's, challenge that's something I think about a lot in any sort of creation uh, or you know in directing work or anything that I do where it's like and I'm sure you think about this too when you're when you're writing articles like it actually helps to have a limit on what you can squeeze into whatever it is you're putting out. Yeah, it helps you focus a little bit more. I find that, um, like, publishing online, there are not a lot. There's, like, not a lot of pressure to write to length. Yeah. But when there's a time limit. Yes, 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 it yes. Helps. Yeah, like, that's the that's the limitation I run into more often. Um, and that's one of the, you know, even time limit, be it, like, a week or be it a couple months, like, you still have to... M- make calls and you have to make judgments and uh you have to I at least to Poe's point of view you have to consider everything that you're including and you better have time to do that so you better not you know make something too huge mm-hmm. like one of my favorite books infinite jest i will be the first to tell you that it is yes it is probably too long <laughs> um and yes one of the plot lines kind of overtakes the plot line that is more interesting. And to hear Dave Foster Wallace tell it, like he got bored with one. So he started focusing on the other. (laughs) And if your book is that long, maybe if it's so long that you yourself get bored writing it (laughs) halfway through, uh, but that like George R. R. Martin yes. syndrome, I think, is or you, what, you know, what you is. need to employ an outside person to keep your own stories straight while you mm-hmm. write them. Come on, get it together, George. 
<laughs> if you're going to read another Poe, like if you're going to read one of his short stories, which would it be? Like, do you even know? I mean, yes. Follow the House of Usher is the big one. but like, I haven't the... read uh, Pit in the Pendulum. Okay. Um, I would want to read that. I, you know, I read Telltale Heart and I read the one where that dude gets buried in the wall. Okay. That might be the cask of a Montsalgo. Whatever. The, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Which? which, which? The cask what? of Aranjado. Okay. Is that how you say orange? I don't know. Um. Oh, God. This is a bad one. This is a bad show. <laughs> I'm not... It's a f- oh, it's fine. It's You're doing fine. Oh, great, thanks. Um, well, um, if if we can wrap it up, I think we've I think we've hit just about everything. Yeah, we've hit we've hit just about everything. You're a dummy if you don't go read this poem. I'll tell you that much. It's, it's a pretty so good poem. Short. Just go read it. What are you listening to us for? Here's your New Year's resolution: read the Raven. Go read it. Read anything. Uh, and also, New Year's resolution: allow me to thank you for listening to this podcast. Wait, what? Yeah, not you. Their new their New Year's resolution should be to share this podcast with everybody they know. Well, I was maybe going to say and that then, after I was like, going to be a good guy first, not like, a not a bully. Share it with two people, and then they share it with two people, and everyone and gets then, five dollars. And next thing you know, Ira Glass is out of a job. <laughs> We're running NPR. <laughs> okay, I think that's something we can all get behind. I think that's something we can all get behind. Uh, so if you can get behind it, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash overdue pod. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash overdue pod. You can send us emails at overdue pod at gmail.com. You can visit our website at overduepodcast.com. What can they find there, Andrew? Um, they can find links to our RSS feed and to our iTunes store page. And um, if you subscribe to us on iTunes, if you could take a minute to rate and review us like rating takes literally no time at all and reviewing takes only a little bit longer than that and um it really does help our show like show up higher in searches and and um you know that kind of fun stuff like it helps other people discover it so we super appreciate when people do that um they can also find amazon links to the books that we are reading and the ones that we have read and the ones that we're going to read um, if you click those and you buy the books, or if you buy pretty much anything on Amazon, we get a little tiny cut, which helps defray hosting costs. Now, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but to date, I believe we've made nothing from those. Oh Amazon no! Books. Like I don't, I don't <laughs> check very often. It's been like maybe a month since the last time I checked. Oh no! But I don't think we've ever actually made any money. So we, we may need to rethink like our advertising strategy. Maybe in, do a little do a drive in, in twenty fourteen. Okay. But, that's uh, fair. Anyway, if if you guys wanna wanna head that off at the past, you can you can use those links and buy those books and I don't know, read something. Like reading stuff is a read a book New Year's for resolution, God's right? sake. Don't start a podcast though, because we already did it. Or we we ins- are we have cornered this market. You need to think of another idea. Instead of reading books, just listen to us. We got your back. Yeah, yeah. It's at least one third as informative and entertaining as reading a book. <laughs> That's our goal. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And we'll see you next year in 2014. I know. <laughs> Try to be happy, everyone.
Anyway. Anyway. Are you ready for this jelly? Um, I don't think that you're does not ready. Rhyme. That no. that bugs me that it doesn't <laughs> rhyme. No, it does not rhyme. Like it's only a slant if you rhyme. say only if you say jelly really weird is it even a slant I don't rhyme. think you're ready for Red, this ready jelly. For this jetty. <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this ma- jetty. Maybe you're singing about jetties. I don't <laughs> What is a jetty? You're is on it, notice, Beyonce. It's on a I'm beach? pretty sure it's like a nautical sort of thing. Jetty. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a nautical sort of thing. Jetty is any variety of structures used in river, dock, and maritime works that are generally carried out in pairs from riverbanks or I a continuation really... of river channels at their outlets into deep water or out into rocks and outside their entrances or for forming basins along the coast for ports in tideless seas. Wow, Wikipedia, that is a <laughs> sentence. There's like three there's like three semicolons in that sentence. I really like the word maritime. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Maritime is cool. Kinda cool. sounds like going out to sea is a great time. That's kinda why I like it. Let's have a merry old time. Let's have time. a merry old time. 